This is the podium where we celebrate the best in the world of motorsport and we're joined right now with a staple of motorsport broadcasting over the years. He, of course, used to host the iconic motorsport program RPM. He used to front the motorsport broadcast for Network 10. I'm speaking, of course, of Bill Woods. Bill, thanks so much for joining us again on the podium. That's a pleasure, Jason. There's a bit going on, isn't there? It's very exciting and, and full marks to all the people involved, particularly motorsport people, because we know how logistically difficult it is to move a championship around of any size, but particularly a world championship, which is, you know, truly global. So, you know, to get anything going at this time of the year, well done. Exactly, exactly. And the good thing about motorsport was all these other sports went into hibernation mode. Motorsport, though, they established all these E-Series competitions and they went racing still with uh, all these drivers competing in the championships. What do you make of all the E-Series stuff before we talk about the real-world action? No disrespect, to those people who are closely involved in the uh, video game business, esports, sorry, yep. sorry, uh, video game might be seen as detrimental. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I thought it was interesting once or twice, uh, but I, I must admit I didn't go back after seeing pretty much one of every kind of motorsport. Um, it, it was a novelty, and it, it, I enjoyed it for what it was. But I couldn't watch it week in and week out. Just the knowledge that it's not real and the knowledge of the consequences of things. I mean, I, I think one of the undercurrents in motorsport, like it or not, it is, it is that it's inherently dangerous and that these people um, are really on the edge of, um, of great calamity when they're out there doing what they do. And when esports is on, you know that that's not going to happen. Um, in fact, the cars just sort of you know disappear sometimes when things go wrong, and then they appear back on the screen again. And that's great because no one gets hurt. But I just think one of the one of the truly inspiring things about motor racing is is just how um, dangerous it is. And so you know that's part of the appeal. I hope that doesn't sound weird, but anyway, that's it. Well, yeah. Well, we did get a return to on-track action again. Let's talk about this supercar news, though, because it's been an interesting few weeks for the supercar championship. Uh, of course, we had the first round since the lockdown at Sydney Motorsport Park. We had some great racing there. Nick Perkat actually took out one of the wins, which was a surprise win. And now we've got all these Victorian teams fleeing up to Sydney for the next Sydney Motorsport Park round of the championship. Well, let's go back to Brad Jones, firstly. Um, there's a guy I've had a lot to do with over the years. He, of course, is a close friend of uh, my longtime associate on Channel 10, Neil Crompton, and um, one of the great supporters of supercar racing and formerly, of course, V8 supercars and even before that, touring car racing in this country as a driver and a team owner. And I've seen Brad undergo some incredible heartache in, in pit lane through no fault of his own, particularly at Bathurst. He's one of those guys who was, you know, one of the great drivers not to win. Um, and I... I um, I've seen him in tears, you know, at some of the things that have happened to him. So for him to have that uh, victory with Nick on the weekend, and they, they could have even had another one, um, I just thought it was fantastic. And I, I really like the idea, and it's so hard, that motorsport events uh, and championships are, are constantly tweaking their regs for a whole range of obvious reasons because the technology keeps changing, that's understood. But the other thing they always try to do is they try and achieve what I call a variable parity. In other words, that you start with all cars being as, as legitimately close 
to maximum performance that they possibly can. But once you do that, you make them so even, it's very hard to achieve positional change. So what you have to do is not only achieve a point of reasonable parity, given various makes and engines and things, but then you have to find a mechanism of variability so that you know they can tweak aero or, or um, fuel consumption, tyres, all these other things that can actually create changes in performance and give teams options to experiment and, and strategize within those variations. That's really hard to do. And and particularly the expensive teams always find a way to just do more of what the other teams do um, or, or, or get better parts or do things generally better even within those regulations. So just trying to paint a picture there of, of, of how difficult it is. And, and for, for Brad to, 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 I won't say gamble because I'd rather say strategize on tire choice and things like that. I think to be able to build those variables into a, into a series is is terrific. And the more of that, the better. And it just goes to show you give Nick Perkat a car that works uh, as good as or slightly better than anyone else, he can still win. So it, it just goes to show that it's, um, it, it's, it's a great championship if they can just get it right. It's just not easy to do all the time. And it, it varies from track to track, of course, as well. Uh, back in the old days, before most people listening to this were born, there were touring car races which involved extraordinary differences in makes. You had Mazda RX-7s and, and, and Volvos and things like that. Um, but they all had different strengths and weaknesses at different circuits. So, you know, one might be slow on the straight but really quick around the corners. That's a very basic breakdown, but it gets more complicated. But in those days, there were actually sweet spots in the championships. And there were times when a BMW or a Volvo or a Holden or a Ford or a Mazda could actually win a race uh, within the one season. So really hard to do. But tell you what, when they get it right, it's fun to watch. Oh, it sure is. sure is. And, you know, there's been talk over the past few years about ways to reduce costs for all the teams. And this has kind of been something that's been forced upon the teams and the championship. And it's actually been working well. And look, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the remainder of this season plays out with mostly two-day events for most of the races going forward. I have to ask you, though, you know, we've seen all the sporting codes struggle to adjust with everything that's gone on during the whole pandemic, uh, especially we've seen the reliance on TV deals for all these codes while they're all rushing to get back into some sort of action. What do you think it means for the Supercar Championship and motorsport in Australia going forward after this pandemic's finished? Oh, yeah, it's a good point. A very good point. Uh, it's a big worry, Jace, because, you know, they, they rely heavily on sponsors. You only have to look at the cars. And uh, I think we've discussed this before, but um, unfortunately, there are only a couple of sports in this country, really, who, which can rely on uh, basic consumer support in terms of bums on seats uh, for income. Most of the sports rely on their TV money uh, and, and um, their sponsorship. And all that's tied up. One complements the other. And, and, and mainly TV ratings drives that little you know, economy. Um, there are very few others that can survive, you know, on, on, on like, for example, no other sport comes close to AFL when it comes to club membership and, and, and of course, merchandise and all the things that follow from that. And that's a handy income. Um, but not many other sports can boast a, a reasonable amount of income from those sort of things. So the point I'm trying to make is not just motorsport, but all sports are hugely vulnerable. NRL, uh, very high-profile sport in this country, it's fair to say, um, complaining about maybe clubs going to the wall during the lockdown. And, that, and that these, these are clubs that have decades, um, more than a century in some cases, of tradition behind them and support still not financially safe. So uh, 
big problem, absolutely. Motorsport's always on that edge when it comes to these things. Um, it doesn't take a lot of fluctuation for, for teams to fall over. They just have to keep the money coming in to sustain what they do. So you're right, low-cost models are crucial. And particularly now, where's the manufacturer support? There's no manufacturers jumping out after Holden and Ford's, you know, decline in support to, 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 to get involved in supercars. So, yeah, it'll be tricky. They have to constantly reinvent themselves, I think, and they, they can't just sit back. Uh, they've got immediate problems. And, you know, we, you did ask me before about the dislocation of teams, and I think we've seen in the footy, and we're going to see it um, in, in motorsport as well. It's not going to be easy for the teams that have, that have relocated not just for the, the fact that the human side of it, that people are working away from home, which, which we've now uh, realised, whether it's a, a, a footy player or whatever, um, is, is difficult um, for their mental health and all those other things and their just general well-being, but also the cost measures and the fact that, you know, they just don't have access to facilities and other things that, that are comfortable and um, and and get and keep you in your routine, which is important for any team. So, yeah, the dislocated teams are going to have big problems, and of course, that means the Victorian teams at the moment. Who knows where else is going to shut down in the coming months? Well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, you're just going to take it as it comes, and yeah, just watch this space. Really, let's talk about two wheel action now, Billy. And of course, you used to broadcast the MotoGP or the 500cc world title as well back in the day. Jack Miller, over the years, you know, he's established himself within the motorcycling landscape. A lot of success in Moto3 and then the big step up to MotoGP. It's just been announced that he's going to be joining Ducati on the factory bike next season. What do you think about this? How, how do you think he'll go? Oh, look, I, I can only echo what Mark Webber said during the week. Uh, and he would know uh, because you've just got to be on the right machinery. And it's taken Jack a lot of manoeuvring and mucking around to try and get these deals done. And we all know that you can still perform very, very well on, on satellite teams and um, on these, you know, low-funded budget operations, and it still won't necessarily get you a gig because uh, there's a lot of politics, particularly in the European-based motorsport. So, you know, it, it's it's a great it's a great opportunity for Jack, and I think you know what when you've got guys like Mark working, you know, behind you, that's really good advice. One of the things about Mark Webber is that when he did get an opportunity, he was ready for it. And that's what Jack needs to be. He needs to be 100% in form and mentally and physically for this Ducati team next year. Clearly a competitive team. Um, uh, we were talking before this podcast about um, the, the good thing about MotoGP, despite Mark Marquez's dominance, is the fact that you know, you've got four different manufacturers in the top four places at the end of the last season, which is really encouraging. It's, it's So he, he has a bike that seems, well, notwithstanding, you know, technical changes between now and next year, of course, that can always happen. But it looks as though he'll have a very competitive bike. We'll certainly see what happens for the rest of this year too. But um, very, very, very exciting stuff. And, and I'm sure Jack will know that this opportunity is, is only going to probably come once. And uh, he's just got to get into it and do the very, very best he can and try and be mistake-free. Well, yeah, there's been a few moves during this whole lockdown period. One of the other big ones involves the Yamaha teams. Uh, so Fabio Cordararo has been announced as joining the factory team next season alongside Maverick Vinales, which means that Valentino Rossi is going to have to make way. And all the talk at the moment is linking him up to a satellite Yamaha seat. What do you make of this decision for 
Valentino if he does decide to go down the satellite route to end his, end his career in MotoGP? Well, look, I'm one of those people who, um, who likes to not presume on behalf of someone else, particularly a legend like Valentino Rossi. In other words, you know, I'm not going to tell him what to do with his career or how to do it, um, but I must say I'm surprised. <laughs> I, um, I just find it strange. Uh, the guy must just love to ride. And, and I think you and I might have had this conversation before. I, I don't like to see a champion sort of fade away to the point where, you know, he's not even... You, you see him racing or you see, you see them performing somewhere and you just think, what are they doing there? Um, I'm going to be fascinated, for example, with what Roger Federer does over the next couple of years. Um, I, I don't want to see Roger going out in the second round of major tournaments. And, and I, I just wonder why someone like Valentino would get on a bike that he knows he can't win on. Uh, it's been hard enough for him to win on factory bikes, you know, um, because of the, the amazing young talent that's grown up around him. So I, I don't know, mate. I just find it strange. I, I, can't, I haven't spoken to Valentino for donkey years, but, um, and I know he, was, he, he comes from a family, uh, you know, that just loves to ride, and, and, and that's fine. But I just don't know whether I'd love to ride around the back of the field <laughs> or, or even midfield where hopefully it doesn't get too dangerous for him. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. But look, whatever he wants to do, he's entitled to do, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. Another rider I want to get your thoughts on because I think when you were covering his uh, progression through the ranks, he wasn't necessarily setting the world on fire. It's Andrea De Vizioso. However, the past few years in MotoGP, yeah. he's been one of these guys that's really taken it to Mark Marquez, one of the only riders that's really consistently taken it up to Mark Marquez. Uh, he's broken his collarbone, unfortunately, during this lockdown. It looks like he'll be right to go for the first round at Ares. Andrea De Vizioso, he's been in the championship a while now. He has, yeah. You know, I, look, it's been a long, long time since I was calling races and hosting these things. And and uh, Dovey was just coming up through the ranks, and you're right, he was riding in the, the two, 125s and 250s. Um, or did he go straight to 250s? I can't even remember, but he went through the, ra- the ranks. Um, I, um, again, I, I, I find it interesting that he seems to be holding out on, on uh, and there's all this talk of Jorge Lorenzo coming in to be Jack Miller's teammate next year, coming out of retirement. I, I, I think that might be just, you know, Position negotiation sort of stories, if you know what I mean. You know, people spreading stories around to try and get a better deal. I'm not sure, but look, he's still competitive, so good luck to him. I think he, I, don't, I, I certainly wouldn't put him in the same category as as um, as, as Valley in, at this stage, because while he's on a good bike, he seems to be he seems to be competitive. He's not a kid anymore, that's for sure. But anyway, yeah, but talking about you know skipping the season and rather than signing a bad deal and all this sort of stuff, uh, that that's interesting. He'd want to be careful at his, his stage of his career. Although, mind you, to bring Jorge back is probably replacing like with like, isn't it? I don't know. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, Jorge's one of those ones, isn't he? He's had a, a very interesting career, you know, very early on, highly touted, uh, won multiple championships, and then just made a few bad career moves, it seems, and he's just struggled, he's just struggled to get back from that, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. And I, I, I must admit, though, um, it, it has there was a period there where it, it wasn't easy to pick the right team in MotoGP, I think. You know, for a while there, uh, certainly back in my day, if you weren't on a Honda, you know, forget about it, basically. That that went on for a long time. 
And then we had little, you know, slowly we had some incremental change. Ducati came in and, you know, had a particularly good bike um, uh, and then really sh- shook things up for a while. And, and then it kind of got different from there. So I, I yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure what's, you know, I'm so out of touch now with what the backroom deals are. Once upon a time, you could walk up and down the paddock and get some rumours, you know. I certainly don't do that anymore. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. It's not like there's not plenty of new talent coming through, that's for sure. Let's look at the Formula One world now because Formula One world has probably been the one that's probably had the biggest amount of uh, news come from it during this whole lockdown period. Uh, Let's talk about all these dominoes that have fallen over the past few weeks. First of all, Sebastian Vettel, he made the big announcement that he was leaving Ferrari. Uh, Looked like he was pushed after what's been taking place and he's going to be replaced by Carlos Sainz Jr. What do you think of this big move here? Yeah, I don't know what's going on there because I wouldn't want to get rid of Seb Vettel um, unless obviously there is some kind of personality issues. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's a lot to do with how the driver feels they're being treated by the team and these sort of things and that, you know, generates, that, that, that can affect their performance and vice versa. So I don't know what the politics is there, but I, I'd be very surprised. There must be something weird going on unless... Seb Vettel has gone through a bit of a life change and it's just not there for him anymore, at least not for now. Um, but I know one thing, I, I, if I was him, I wouldn't be going back to Red Bull because um, Helmut Marko has obviously anointed Max Verstappen and um, I, I, I think from the soap opera side of things, we'd all find it fun to sit back and watch the former Golden Boy going back and taking on the current Golden Boy. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it'd be great fun. Uh, but you know what? If I was Seb Vettel, I wouldn't be doing it. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I don't know what I don't know what the answer is there to be honest. Um, there, there's not many options for him, are there? Mm, do you think um, he's smart so for him I, to take I, a year off? Yeah, I think he's better off doing that than um, than the alternative. I really do, but that's just me. <laughs> I um, it, it'd be kind of fun, as I said, from a from a championship point of view, to see he and Verstappen in the same garage. Uh, but I don't know if that's a smart move from Vettel's point of view. He might be going through a bit of a Rosberg sort of uh, stage in his life where he thinks he doesn't need to do it anymore. Maybe he's just going to walk away. I'm sure he doesn't need the money. Yeah, well, yeah. It will be interesting to see what does happen there with Sebastian and what he decides to do going forward. Uh, There's been some more moves as well. Uh, Of course, Daniel Ricciardo, it's been announced that he'll be replacing Carlos Sainz here at McLaren alongside another youngster in Lando Norris. This is going to be an exciting teammate battle to watch next season, isn't it? Yes. And look, I was pretty impressed with McLaren last year and then they get Norris on the podium last weekend. So I, um, I got a bit excited about that, I have to say. Only one race in, but... And there were a few key errors in that race, which had they not been made, Norris probably wouldn't be there. But um, obviously McLaren's looking pretty good. They're traditionally a great team. It's about time they got their act together again. Um, and so I think clearly now the Renault move for Ricardo was basically, it was a stepping stone, obviously. Um, to what? We're not quite sure. Um, he may have thought it was a stepping stone to one of the bigger teams. But if it hasn't worked out that way, I think McLaren certainly... Renault just shows no sign of getting better, do they? I just, they seem to be, uh, they seem to be just spinning their wheels. <laughs> um, so, but but um, I think, yeah, McLaren looks like they're a much better prospect. And Norris is young and he's quick. And 
obviously a aggressive uh, driver and he'll be good good competition for, for Daniel. So that, that could be a really useful um, uh, marriage for, for both the team and the drivers next year. Well, yeah. What have you made of Ricardo's move to Renault? Because, you know, it was highly publicised at the time, leaving a really good team in Red Bull that, um, of course, had Max Verstappen there as his teammate. And then making this move, big money deal as well to Renault. And it hasn't really worked out for him, has it? What do you think it's going to mean for his reputation now as a top-level driver? Yeah, well, I think he has to be careful. Well, he's done the McLaren deal, so, you know, arguably it doesn't matter. But I think he has to be careful. He has to make the most of this season, for sure. And he has to prove to people that he's still uh, a driver that you want to have. Um, and I'm sure he'll do that. I cannot imagine Daniel Ricciardo uh, just running around, you know, just doing a Sunday drive uh, this year, he, he's got to go out and show everyone that he's still got what it takes because he now needs to position himself in the McLaren team against Norris. So, you know, if, if I don't know how they're going to run things, but, you know, if they have a preferred driver, uh, he wants to make sure it's him. So even though Norris might have a quicker car this year, and it seems he has, um, Daniel must, must emphasise his ability so that when he walks into McLaren's garage next year, he's the senior guy. Because once you start that position where, you know, if they're going to run the better strategy for the other guy or they're going to, you know, take the um, the better gear and give it to the other guy, then, you know, you're in trouble. So that's where it was with the staff and obviously at Red Bull. So, um, you know, and, and all the other things that go with it too. It's not just what happens on race weekend. It's just general attitude and, you know, relationships. So, yeah, Daniel, Daniel really has a lot of incentive to do well this year and, and wherever possible, um, he needs to beat Norris, I think. That needs to start now. Um, but it's a great, great prospect, and let's let's hope that McLaren can go a little bit better next year, and that somehow we can find a way to keep Mercedes, you know, from just running away with another championship because it's it is getting a little bit tiresome. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. And you know, we've talked about McLaren there. Uh, let's talk now about probably the biggest news from the past few days in terms of big driver moves in Formula One, and it's surrounding two-time world champion Fernando Alonso. We've talked about some of these people already, like Valentino Rossi and Sebastian Vettel that have been around motorsport for a long time and when they're going to finish up. Fernando Alonso Mm. has kind of surprised a few by announcing that he's going to be coming back to Formula One after a few years off. He's going to be joining Renault. Did this news catch you by surprise? And do you think yes. he's going to go? Do you think he's going to be competitive at all next season, or, or what do you think is going to happen Gosh, there? I, I remember the days when he was world champion at Renault. We we were covering the events then and going overseas and going to races and interviewing him and all those things. They were good days, and um, that was a that was a very fine team. Um, and uh, Flavio Briatore and you know it was just uh, was all all very exciting in those days. The kind of days that Daniel Ricciardo probably wished would return when he signed up with them, but. Um, very different setup now, of course. And I don't know, Fernando reminds me a little bit like Valentino in a sense. I, I wonder why he's doing it. Um, he did, of course, race off to try and achieve the goal of being the Triple yeah. Crown. So I I wonder what his motivation is. But again, who are we to tell Fernando Alonso, you know, what to do with his life? If he wants to keep driving race cars wherever they are in the field, uh, I respect that. I just I do find it surprising though. Yeah, yeah. I'd be I'd, I'd go fishing with all the money he's got. I'd just go on holiday for the rest of my life. Oh, exactly. Well, we've talked about a few drivers here that you know are kind of towards the end of their careers. Let's look at the Formula Three Championship now. The FIA Formula Three Championship this season. 
We've got Australians competing in this series. Uh, we've got Oscar Piastri. We've got Alex Peroni. And we've got Jack Doohan competing. And we had the first round of the championship at Austria the other night. And Oscar Piastri won on debut. It's astounding. This kid's just slipped under the radar. Um, although I must say that, um, you know, to have two Aussies on the podium in Formula 3 just goes to show if you set up, I know it still takes a lot of wheeling and dealing and a lot of money from the parents to, to get there, but it just goes to show if you set up a, a kind of a, a neutral make series for young drivers and give them all a relatively equal opportunity to, uh, to perform, um, that's terrific. And um, I love to see that. Uh, it shouldn't be all about, you know, whose parents had the most money and all those things. I know that's still very much an influence, but um, it, it's great to see kids get an opportunity. Uh, and I know CAMS has done a lot of work over the years and people like Mark Webber uh, have, have done a lot of work trying to help young people get a, a foothold, you know, um, so that it's not virtually impossible for a young Australian uh, to to get a seat in a in a proper European championship and have a stepping stone to to either Formula One or MotoGP. So a lot of a lot of work's been done uh, over the years to make this possible. So it's not just about Oscar and it's not just about young Peroni or even uh, you know Jack. It's 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 very much about the work done behind the scenes in Australian motorsport generally. And I think a, a big help to that is. And I'm, I just want to put in a quick plug here for CAMS is that as a motorsport um, nation, we really punch above our weight globally in terms of uh, administrators. I mean, you've got Gary Connolly working over there at the moment in Formula One race uh, control, but you've got a whole stack of other people who uh, are world-class administrators and officials in motorsport. And so our reputation as a motorsport nation is very strong. We've got people in administration and operations overseas who are actually Australian voices. And that actually all helps. It helps people understand that we, you know, our kids um, are as good as any others in the world. And I think that makes a difference, you know. But look, getting back to the specifics, it's so exciting. I think it's interesting, though, that you've got Ricardo, Piastri and Peroni. Now, they're all Aussie kids. But I wonder, if, uh, Jason, if that Italian heritage, <laughs> that Italian heritage has something to do with their motorsport capabilities. You know, that, that Italian love of fast cars and yeah. all those things. I, I wonder if it's in their DNA. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with how big Ferrari is, of course. <laughs> we know it's in Jack Dewan's DNA, at least yeah. in one generation. <laughs> He's got some good help there. That's fantastic. He came 14th. Um, oh, and Callan Williams. We haven't mentioned him. Callan Williams came 21st. That's four Aussies. My apologies. That's four Aussies. I was just checking the timesheets there. That's so that's incredible. Correct. And they're, and they're up against, you know, you talk about covering the motorsport over the years. They're up against like the sons of, you know, they're the sons of Michael, Ralph Schumacher, uh, Jean Alacy's yes. sons competing in some of these races as well. There are two Fittipaldis as well coming up through the ranks. It's weird, isn't it? Seeing all these sons of guns. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was talking about, you know, um, it's mainly about um, the tradition. It's not about culture so much as tradition. And and you've just given one particular reason why. You know, there's there's, there's so much uh, support. You know, the kids in Europe generally uh, grow into racing families, as you just explained. But also those even who don't, um, they, they grow into racing cultures and racing traditions. And um, from a very young age, they're, they're sort of in the environment and, and tuned to it. 
um, which is not as common here in Australia, of course. So, yeah, it's um, and and look, there's no doubt that, like any sport, there's there's a, there, there'll be an inherent bias among teams to choose the European kids uh, because they're European teams. That's been going on in MotoGP for a long time. It's been particularly hard for riders outside Europe to to get gigs, and and that's just a natural thing. You'll never change that. So yeah, very very exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward to it uh, to watching these kids go through the ranks. Awesome stuff, Bill Woods. Thanks again for joining us on the podium. Absolute pleasure, Joe. Cheers.